Welcome to Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship with Pastor Jim Swigert. So we are in Colossians chapter 4 and we'll pick up in verse 2. And as you know, this is the final chapter in our study of Colossians and Paul writing to those believers in Colossae. And we left off with in the mindset of relationships, particularly the wives submitting to the husband, the husbands loving their wives, children obeying their parents, employees and employers being obedient to the Lord in all things. And as well, uh, especially fathers being exhorted to uh, love their children. And for this is pleasing to the Lord. And we continue on now. I'm so thankful that God sees us not as a finished product. Amen. I'm so thankful that he gives us the grace to grow. And he's always working in us. Even when we don't think he's doing anything, God is doing something in us. And as we grow in him and as we keep our eyes on him, that victory comes. And we experience the, the presence of God more and more. And so in all relationships, as we put on the new man, putting off the old man, um, we're to live like Jesus. And that was the title of last week's message, to be like Jesus. The title of today's message is make an impact or making an impact. And that should be our desire. Certainly God's given us the instructions to live life in our family and in the workplace and wherever we go, but especially to the outsiders, to the non-believing world that don't know the Lord. And so that is where we need to understand that God desires for us to make the impact. So let's pick up in verse 2 then. Continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. And so as we read these scriptures, Paul focuses on three essentials. The believer's prayer life, how to walk, and how to talk. And concerning prayer, we're given some wonderful insights here. I call them edifying reminders. Uh, verse 2 says, continue earnestly in prayer. And the meaning here is to be steadfast, to, to, to give priority to, uh, devoted, devoting ourselves in persistent prayer to the Lord. This, it's not a, some kind of event in our life. Prayer ought to be such a priority, devotion to God, not something that we do occasionally, but earnestly to him. And I oftentimes think that, you know, the easiest thing to do as a believer is to pray. And the hardest thing to do is to continuously pray because this world is so distracting. Amen. But how many of you, when you begin your day, I hope you do, and you pray and you have that devotion time with the Lord, 
or maybe even in the afternoon comes along in the evening and okay, I'm going to have a couple minutes here to pray. All of a sudden you have like the whole world is entering into your mind. The things that you got to do, the things that you need to pick up at the grocery store, the things that you got to complete. You got to be reminded to make that list so you're ensured to, uh, to complete your list. It's like everything comes in at that time that you want to devote to the Lord. The encouragement here is that we just need to press on and, and, and pray. Um, you know, Jesus said something in, in Luke chapter 18, speaking on persistence in prayer. He's, then he spoke a parable to them that men, that includes women as well, always ought to pray and not lose heart saying, there was a certain city, a judge who did not fear God, nor regard man, nor there was a widow in the city. Now there was a widow in the city, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward, he said within himself, though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Now, that's not telling us that God is ever tired of us coming to him. In fact, there, I always remember this. When I first got saved, one of the brothers at the church, they shared some wrong information with me. And it always stuck with me. And every time I think of being devoted to prayer, or to prayer and, and being persistent and coming to God, persevering, this man told me, you only need to ask God something once. Don't, don't ask more than once. You know, I've never found that in the scriptures yet. God wants to hear from us. And as we know, as we devote our life to prayer, as we continue to seek him, he works out his perfect plan. Our wills then are lined up to his, and it's like, wow, God does something. And he answers prayers according to his will. And so we need to continue to be in the spirit, continually in persistent prayer, um, seeking, seeking the Lord. And then the point number two might be, our praying must also, as Paul says there in verse 3, or excuse me, 2, being vigilant, which means watchful and alert. Watchful and alert, suggesting that we constantly need to be aware. Aware of a lot of things. We need to be watchmen. We need to watch and pray. As we see in the scriptures, that's a phrase used a lot in the Bible. And remember when Jesus was with uh, a few of his pals, his disciples, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he told them, come with me, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. So I think of that word overcome as we sang this morning. Even in our prayer life, we have to overcome all the distractions and take heed to the words of Jesus. Watch and pray. Remember what his disciples did? They fell asleep. How many of you ever laying in your bed said, okay, now's the time. I finally get some time to be with the Lord. And I'm going to pray. And then you wake up in the morning feeling so guilty because you fell asleep. You didn't fit. We have one honest person in the audience today. <laughs> Two, three. Now they go up. All hands are up. Praise the Lord. But the spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. Sometimes we need to get and make ourselves more intentional in our prayer life. And when we call out to God to help us in that, he does. It's an amazing thing. 
and we grow as we are vigilant. You know, the very, one of the very first indications that our spiritual life is slipping is that we make excuses for not praying. And it's so easy to do. Prayer isn't the last thing we should be doing. Prayer should always be the first thing that we should be doing. Being watchful and alert also reminds us that we live not on a playground, but on the battlefield. How important it is that prayer, not just the act of doing the religious exercise, but using prayer as a weapon. And I'm reminded in Ephesians chapter 6, in that chapter that you so well know, the armor of God, as Paul goes the list through the, uh, the armor of the Roman soldier that we are to put on. Verse 17 and 18 says of Ephesians chapter 6, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now listen to verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, and all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. How powerful it is for us to be praying for one another in light of the battles that are taking place here on this earth, the spiritual warfare that exists that we're encouraged to put on the full armor of God. And so we, we need to pray with vigilance. We need to be persistent, watchful, and praying. And here's another, when you think of watchful and praying, and this is, might be a little challenge for you. When we pray and we see the Lord move, we need to take that moment and acknowledge him. This will increase our prayer life. i got to go back and do this all the time and remind myself, it, it, it's work. Prayer is work. It takes effort. But something amazing happens when we take that time to acknowledge God. Lord, I prayed for that. I remember your spirit even led me in praying for that. And I want to give you thanks now. I want to praise you, Lord, because you hear me. And as we honor the Lord in that, he continues to reveal himself to us and we continue to grow. Prayer is so powerful. Paul says there in verse 2 also, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. So we are to have a spirit of thanksgiving. Certainly an attitude of thanksgiving. And it's amazing, again, when we have this attitude of thanksgiving, it produces a, a spirit of humility. I don't know about you. I've asked the Lord, Lord, make me humble. I quit doing that years ago because the Lord hears those prayers and he works sometimes exactly the way you ask. And humility is something that we all need, but God knows exactly how to work in our lives to bring forth that humility. And sometimes it's painful. So don't pray for humility in that way. No. But if we have a thankful heart, and our heart and our prayers are going to the Lord. He does the work. He brings that spirit of humility about us. It's not something that you can work on. Well, today I'm going to work on humility. And I don't think that works. So we need to have our hearts before the Lord. And I'm reminded in Philippians with this heart of thanksgiving. And, and again, you know this scripture, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, just might guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It doesn't say that, does it? It says, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And I need my heart to be guarded. The days that we're living in, the wickedness that we see, the troublesome of this whole world that can just get us down to gloom and doom, I need my heart to be guarded. And so how can we guard our hearts? Well, be persistent in prayer. Seeking the Lord, have, letting the Spirit of God to work in our hearts that we might have this spirit of humility. You know, with thanksgiving, it's, it's a wonderful thing to have a thankful heart in the things that God does in our lives and how he hears and how he intervenes and how he works. And Paul continues then in Colossians chapter 4, verse 3. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in chains, that I make, make it manifest as I ought to speak. So here's the fourth edifying point. Praying for open doors. And it's like preaching to the choir here because you are a people that pray for open doors. I love that. Continue to pray for these open doors. When you, when you think about open doors, thinking about the gospel and the word of God to go forth, and you, you think about the mission of the church. Our, our mission really is threefold. First and foremost, most important, is our upreach. We have the upward call to worship God, to recognize and acknowledge God in all things. That It's a lifestyle of worship. It's, it's what I call upreach. Everything that we do be pleasing to God, that our lives would be a sweet-smelling aroma to God, and that we imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lives are to be a living sacrifice. And then to have the inreach or the inward. You know, it's so important for the body of Christ to not only be focused on worship as a lifestyle, but also the inreach. And we might call this discipleship. Coming and learning as we live life together and having the Spirit of God work in our lives and encouraging one another. And then to, to have that uh, structured discipleship mindset of growing as a disciple of Christ. And that includes fellowship on Sunday mornings. That includes fellowship uh, anywhere we go. That includes Bible studies. That includes studying the Word of God for ourselves and having devotion times. That's all included in the inreach. And so we have upreach, inreach, and then there's outreach. And it really is in that order. I know we can be so focused on outreach that we forget the inreach. But it's so important that we first have the upreach, the inward, the inreach, and then outreach. God calls us to follow him. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so he makes us into disciples that we would ha even have outreach. And certainly outreach isn't just event-oriented. What a blessing it was last night. It was, 
It was, uh, someone said this morning, I don't know if it was outreach or fellowship. I call that koinonia, however you want to look at it. Because the spirit of God, just being a light in the midst of, and there was a lot of darkness last night. It was, they didn't have lights at this park. We're going to call the city. We Using our phones and flashlights and everything else to serve hot dogs. Um, but nevertheless, we were light. We're called to be light. And as we have that focus on upreach and inreach and outreach, which certainly includes evangelism, going out beyond our walls, sharing the gospel, knowing Christ and making him known. And we see the Apostle Paul here as he is sharing how to make an impact, as he was encouraging those believers at Colossae, and as the Holy Spirit, I believe, encouraging us. It's interesting. You can tell a lot from Paul and what he was asking here of the church and how to pray. He wasn't praying that God would just open up the door that he would just march right out of prison there in Rome. He was praying for open doors. You remember, he's in prison. He wasn't praying that he would be able to escape. He's praying for open doors for the gospel, the word of God to go forth. And I can tell you, just from the rest of the scriptures, God was answering that prayer. God was giving him, the Apostle Paul, great opportunity to share the gospel even while he was there in prison. Remember that from prison, Paul wrote four books of the Bible, three letters to churches and one to Philemon. You have Colossians, which we're studying, Philippians and Ephesians, and then Philemon. As he ministered the word, the gospel, one of the slaves, Onesimus, was saved. And Paul, under the Spirit and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing a letter to him and how to receive this, this slave who was a runaway and encouraging Philemon, the believer, to, to take back Onesimus. And so the doors were being opened. And can you imagine, um, you know, being whether he was actually chained to a Roman soldier in his cell where he was at? I don't know. But could you imagine the Roman soldiers hearing the gospel? I remember when I served on the submarine. Oh, how I wish I was a believer on that submarine. There would be no, nowhere for anybody to go. They would have to listen to me for months on end as we were uh, deployed. Would have been awesome. I might have been, you know, done away with and shot out the torpedo too, but hey, they would have heard the gospel. But I think we see what, Paul, what we're seeing here through the Apostle Paul. The priority of the word of God the gospel going forth, of all the things that Paul could have asked for. To, what about our lives? What, what are we seeking the Lord? What, what are we writing down on our prayer requests? What are we wanting the Lord to do in our lives? Is it done with the spirit that Paul is showing us? I'm reminded of the church of uh, you know, the Thessalonians, the church at Thessalonica, and how God worked in their lives. A, a, just a, a young church, a church that heard the gospel. And, and some scholars believe that the Apostle Paul was only there for three weeks, maybe up to three months, which isn't a very long time. We haven't even been in existence as a church for three months. But Paul poured into them, and he shared them so, so much. He discipled them. And they have a wonderful testimony. And this is how I pray for our church. And I praise God for how he's answered those prayers. Well, look at verse 6 of First. Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, And you, the church, 
became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. Isn't that an awesome testimony of how the Holy Spirit was working in the life of a church and they weren't a bunch of mature believers? And they were coming out of some heavy-duty sin. But the Spirit of God was working, and this is the testimony from this young church that the Word of God was being proclaimed into their communities, into the world of their relationship with God. It doesn't say that they were holding a bunch of bunch events. The Word of God was going forth from them. And that's how we should pray for our church, that the Word of God is going forth. And just, you know, thinking about it this week and reading in Amos in chapter 8, it, it talks about a famine of the word of God. And I'm reminded as that in scripture, it says there in Amos chapter 8, that it wasn't just that the word of God wasn't going out. That's certainly implied. But it was the hearing of the word. Meaning the people were still religious, but they were not hearing the word of God as it was going out. There's a difference. Just like there's a difference between knowing Jesus and knowing about Jesus. A lot of people know about Jesus, but they don't know him and walk with him. That's the blessed privilege that you and I have as believers and followers of God. That we not only know Christ, but we walk with him. We, we know him personally, intimately. And we hear the voice of God through his word. And this is another challenge. When we get into the word, in your devotion times, are you hearing God speak to you? Because we can do it religiously, right? We can get in there and we can read and determine how many chapters I have, verses I have to read this week. And, oh, get in bed, you're praying and this. oh, I didn't finish my devotion. I didn't finish the word I was supposed to read. I would say, if that happens, call time out and say, Lord, what do you want me to read this morning? And listen for his voice. It might not be an audible voice, but you'll hear him through the words. And Jesus said, my sheep hear me, and they follow me. This was Paul's heart for, for he, that the church would pray, pray for him. And he mentioned specifically, meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ. The mystery of Christ. So he's asking specifically for the church that he would speak the mystery of Christ. And remember back in the book of Ephesians, the mystery of Christ tells us that it's not concealed, but it's being revealed through the Spirit of God. And that the Gentiles and Jews alike can be one in Christ. There is no distinction of those who are in Christ. You didn't have to convert to Judaism. And what a message this is for you and I, the mystery of Christ, that we go out and share the gospel and share what the meaning of a relationship with God means, pointing to Christ having died on the cross for our sin that we might have life, that we might have life, this mystery that 
Salvation comes by faith alone and grace alone, that we can't earn it. You know, I don't pay much attention to statistics, but I think the last one I remember, what was it, 70% of our nation believes that we're still a Christian nation. I'd say that's kind of high by looking out there in the world these days, but um, there's a distinct message, isn't there? Believers are to be separate. We're, we're separated unto God. We've experienced the mystery of Christ. And Paul also says here, and he reminds us, for which I am also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. And this is interesting. He, he's asking the church to pray for him that he would speak how he ought to speak. And I remember reading you know, Charles Spurgeon, they would come and ask him, you know, why do you have such a successful church? And he told them to go downstairs and see the hundreds of people praying during the assembly of believers. And I would encourage all of us to be praying. And when, you, when you're having, a, uh, you know, God giving you favor and you have inroads with coworkers or family members, man, get the prayer request out because there's people here that want to pray. Because we often pray for the doors open for all of us to share the word of God, to share Jesus. And when I think of ought to speak, I kind of feel guilty because there's times that I stick my foot in my mouth, just like some of you might do every now and then. Some might feel more guilty than others. But, um, but how do we pray for one another? I'll ask you to pray for me in this way. Pray for God's power. When we share the word, when we share the gospel with others, that the power of God, it would be under his authority. And with clarity, I need lots of prayer for clarity. One of the greatest privileges I have as a pastor is preparing for Sunday morning or Bible studies. And hearing what God wants to say. I am so blessed that I have an opportunity to pastor a second church as senior pastor. And I love the church that I pastored for so many years. But it's amazing getting into the word and going back and looking at past messages, just like in Colossians that I did so many years ago. It's like it's different. It's fresh. The people, it's different. That's the power of the God's word. And he has a word for all of us. So I love hearing from you and how God's using you. And how you, you're praying for God to work, how you pray for your own physical needs and your spiritual needs. I need to hear these things because I believe the Lord takes that and you get into the word of God and what comes out is speaking to you, not from Jim, but from God, from his word. We could probably do a little poll after church here. What's the main point of the message? And we might come ask 10 people and it could be 10 different answers directly. That's the spirit of God moving. But I encourage us to pray for each one of us to speak how we ought, ought to. That it would be from the Lord. What a great privilege all of us have, the message that God's given us, that, that he would even use us to be vessels for him to declare the wonderful message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And the ball continues. He says, walk. Again, this is part of his prayer. He's, he's asking the church to pray. 
He's praying, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside redeeming the time. So we're encouraged by the Spirit of God in these scriptures here to, about our prayer life. And now we're about to be encouraged about our walk and our talk. Our walk and talk as believers. And concerning walk, this speaks of, as we know from the scriptures, speaking of the way we behave, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we live our lives. And it's interesting to think. Again, the first century church, less than 30 years from when Christ went to the cross and was resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. Less than 30 years, these believers, as Paul's writing to them, you know, to think of how they were treated. And the point being, we can get so mindful of our own lives that we, we don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to be called out in the midst of the group at work or at school or wherever because we're a believer. You know, the first century believers, they were slandered by outsiders, they, uh, killed for their faith. They were called atheists that, because they served no visible God. They were called cannibals because, you know, they partook of the blood of Jesus and the body of Jesus symbolically through the Lord's Supper. So they were viewed as cannibals. So the Christians then were living in a much, you know, world of unfriendliness. But, you know, the interesting thing is you look at the first century church, they were seen as different. There was that distinction. And you and I are called to be different. You know, if we were arrested for being a believer and behaving like a believer and living like a believer, would there be enough evidence and obviously I didn't just come up with this. You've heard this before. Is there enough evidence for you to go to prison or be found guilty in the court? Would the jury say, yep, that person's definitely a believer? Well, they were devoted to the Lord. And we see here, Paul says, redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom, meaning the knowledge that you have or you apply it to your life. Walk in that wisdom of what you know what we're learning here in the scriptures, walk in that wisdom toward those who are outside. This is our relationship to those who don't know the Lord, outside the walls of the church, outside of our homes. He's being very specific here, very specific in how we are to treat one another and love one another, fervently loving one another, but also being that, having that mindset of the outside, being mindful of those who are lost, unsaved and have the eternal destiny of hell. Paul's focused on them at this moment. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Redeem the time literally means to make the most of every opportunity. Redeem the time. And again, redemption has that mindset of buying out. Buying up one's time by paying a price. We redeem the time by using our time wisely. Anybody else feel guilty? I've got to work on that. Using time wisely. Sometimes in order to use our time wisely, we must be willing to give up different things, whatever they might be that come, come in our way. Some, and even most of those times, 
they're good things. Making the most of every opportunity. You know, God has graciously allowed us to be his stewards. And so everything that we have is God's. The provisions that he gives us. The spiritual gifts that he gives to us. The time that he gives to us. You know, we don't want to squander it. Any of it. And that word came to my mind as we prayed even about the church plan. You know, we do believe that we're on short time here. We know that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming soon. We don't want to just look busy. We want to be busy for his kingdom. We want to do what he wants to do. We want his will to be done in our lives. And so what a great opportunity we have to redeem the time and to be obedient to him. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, redeem the time for the days are evil. We need to walk in wisdom, redeem the time, because this time is it's going to be gone. We get one chance to live the life here on earth for Jesus, and then it will be gone. And that could be in the next two minutes, 30 seconds. There's none of us that are guaranteed one more second. There's going to be that time that our time here on earth is gone, whether we pass from this life, a physical death, or when Jesus comes for his church. That time is going to end, our time here on earth, at some point in time. And then we're going to give an account for our time. Evil days, though. When you think of the evil days that we're living in, it should be a motivation for us. Understanding, first of all, that this world and its system is all controlled by God with a little g. It's Satan. Paul called in Corinthians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians 4, the God of this world. This system controlled by the enemy. Our enemy who's prowling around like a lion looking for someone to devour. We need to resist him because we know it's his desire to lure us away from the Lord. So we need to walk in wisdom. And part of that is understanding the times that we're living in, that we are to redeem the time. Time is short. Evil days also provide for us great opportunities to share the hope that we have. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks a reason for the hope that is in you. In meekness and fear. In meekness and fear. The hope in you. There's a phrase that Paul used, right? In Colossians chapter 1, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Evil days ought not to lead us to think of all the obstacles. You know, the Lord hasn't called us to be in our little huddles and we just, you know, we know he's coming. Let's just hunker down and just wait it out. The days are evil. No, the Lord calls us to go 
shine the light of Jesus Christ on an evil, wicked, dark world. And even those on the outside, not knowing God, not having a relationship with him, as they live with fear and uncertainty and confusion, they turn to the alcohol, the drugs, the material things, relationships, whatever. People have a sense to need to be a part of something. And the enemy turns that. He turns that against humanity because it is a good thing to want to be part of something. And we should want to be part of God's kingdom with Jesus being the head, the head of the church, the king of the kingdom. And you see what's going on and how the enemy's twisted and turned things and the labeling of people. There's so many labels out there. And if you're not part of any of that label, you are an outsider. And Satan lies. He's, he lies. That's who he is. He's a thief. He's robbing, especially our, our young generation and older generation, because that's who he is. The enemy's a master of providing a false hope. And there is no hope without Jesus. And if there's no hope without Jesus, and we being hopeful people because we have Christ in us, the hope of glory, we need to think outside. We need to think every opportunity. We need to redeem the time, taking uh, advantage of every, every opportunity that we have and not squander. So the evil days and all these pressures, again, it provides us with opportunities to make an impact, to influence every opportunity, even though we take, take them for granted. Even within the church, we take opportunities for granted. We don't probably sometimes, we don't properly see the big picture and everything. You know, just like the ministries we have here at church, that, you know, we're so blessed to have children's ministry, but let's think bigger. Let's think bigger just that the ministry and the church are so blessed to have a rotation for a month. Think about the impact of those stories about Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior that we call him to be, the word being implanted into the hearts of those little children that we have no idea what God is doing in their heart, and it's he that will bring the fruit. That's why we need to pray for our teachers. And, and the music ministry of, of praise and worship. It's, there's a bigger picture than just having praise and worship in the church. It's praise is going unto God. Wanting to please him because he is all worthy. And even the next time you go to the grocery store, think big. And maybe you do already because, man, you go to Costco on Saturday mornings, you better have more of a purpose than going to Costco on a Saturday morning. Ask God to open that door up and see what he will do. Pray also that he'll give you the grace. Those are opportunities. We need to think big because we have a big God. Everywhere we go, taking the word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, an opportunity to share the truth to others. You know, ultimately, we understand the Lord Jesus is coming, but 
this is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, is that we will stand before the Lord and give him account for what he's given to us as believers. Our sin is dealt with at the cross. His blood was shed for us. It's our sin's taken care of, but we will stand before Jesus. What, what did you do with what I've given you? And I don't share that to make anybody guilty. I use it to let, let's, let's not squander anything in our lives for him. In verse 6 he says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Speech always with grace. When we are sharing with others, there ought to be some kind of a, a winsome attitude. Most of us, at least I have, experienced engaging a person about Jesus, having an awesome conversation that would turn up into more like a debate, leading then to an argument, then leading to saying things that you'd never really intended to. You walk away, you feel guilty, you feel horrible, you can't even remember to ask, for, you know, ask God to forgive you, and you live with that guilt, and then finally the Spirit of God works in our hearts, come to me, come to me, and we confess and repent, and it's, Lord, I'm so sorry. I blew it. Anybody else been there? <laughs> God is so faithful. And you know what? When that happens, folks, ask God for the next opportunity because he will give it. And he, see, he, he takes us, he builds us, he grows us. And he knows what's going to take. And sometimes we've got to remember that the people that we're talking to are people. Those strung out with whatever they're on. They're people. Those that are shaking their fist at God and shaking their fist at Christians, they're still people. God still loves them. Maybe that next conversation we have with them could be the conversation that God's ordained for before the beginning of the world. The message of love. That Jesus Christ loves you just the way you are. And if you only turn your life over to him, admit that you're a sinner, believe that he died on the cross for your sin, confess your sin, call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Maybe that's the next conversation you'll have with even the person that you had the dis dis uh, you know, disagreement with. But always with grace. It's interesting that in Luke chapter 4, it says of Jesus, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And it's interesting when you look at the context of that uh, passage of scripture in Luke chapter 4. I'm reminded that, you know, Jesus was standing there. He shared Isaiah 61 and he's speaking to his people in his hometown. And he, they say this of him. They marveled at the word, the gracious words of Jesus. And, you know, he said in verse 21, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it says, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And then Jesus said this to him. He said to them, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. 
whatever we have heard done in Capernaum also here in your country. Then he said, as surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you, truly many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land, but none came of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And listen to this. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, they were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and they led him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built, and that they might throw him down over the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. That's an important passage of scripture to apply to our lives and the church and our individual lives, that we're not here to be pals with everybody. The church doesn't exist for the benefit, or excuse me, for people that they would like us. We exist because with the church, the body of Christ. And we ought to speak truth and love. Jesus spoke truth and love. But there was a winsome. There was a something about him that he attracted others. And as we read through the Gospels, he never compromised the truth. He spoke the truth, but people came to him. And I know many of you, if not all of you, have experienced that. Even those co-workers that uh, you know, reject what you say. They might even want to throw jabs at you. But when crisis comes, when they need a prayer request, when they need somebody to pray, and they don't even understand what prayer is, who do they come to? Oh, that's the mission, you see. That's what Paul's talking about here. Let your speech be with grace. Paul in Ephesians 4, 29 verse and 30, it says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Again, so important that our speech to the outsiders, people are, can hear. And not be focused on maybe our attitude against them. Who cares what party they voted for? Well, you know, let me back up here. Uh, we should encourage them to vote according to God's ways, right? It's so easy to get focused on those other things and we don't even give the message. We have to view people the way Jesus views them. Amen. And we all need God's help in that. And it also says here, let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt. Salt gives flavor. It preserves food. And so our, our witness with our speech ought to be lived out. It should be upbeat. We shouldn't be, well, you know, Jesus went to the cross. Now, we should share from our heart what Jesus has done for us and how much God loves us. As God has called us to be ambassadors, ambassadors of, of Jesus, we're representing the king. King of kings and Lord of lords. We're representing him. We certainly live in a foreign land to do that. But also, as we have our speech, always with grace, seasoned with salt, salt makes us thirsty, right? 
when you put that salt on whatever you put on it, you're definitely going to drink something afterwards, right, in time. It's the same way as our speech is seasoned with salt. That would make others thirst for what we have. That you may know how you ought to answer each one. When we walk in wisdom and we allow our speech to be with grace, the help of the Lord, and our, our speech is seasoned with salt, people are going to be curious. They're going to want to know. They're going to ask questions. And this is interesting that Paul says there, how you ought to answer each one. He didn't say everyone. Now, I, I appreciate when we memorize what we're going to say to other believers. But more so, I appreciate when we allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. Because not everybody's the same. There's, there's folks that we need to be maybe a little bit more stern with, more direct. Others that we've got to take along more slowly. We've got to build up that conversation, that relationship that we then can evangelize them. And we have to have the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to do that. Every person is unique, different, and therefore we must adapt to the situation. No witnessing situation is the same. You know, I love doing the Bibles and bands. Not that we get stuck on doing the Bibles and bands, but as the Lord opens up there's those doors, we have a tool, but then we need to listen the people that we talk to. We don't, you know, we're trained, right? We know Bible verses. We, we want to get that out. We, we're excited to share from the Lord. But we need to listen to people. Not jump in there with a the Bible verse when they're in mid-sentence. Guilty. And most of all, we need to love them. And, and discern from the Holy Spirit and then respond to them. You know, Paul encouraged young Timothy and the Spirit of God encourages us from Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Now there's a lot right there. Just reading the word humility, I know right there, I've got to ask God to help me to be humble, to have this humility that the Spirit of God is showing us here. But it says, Correcting those who are in opposition. That doesn't mean then, right, that we just hear something that is false and we're in dialogue with others. We're to correct, but we're to correct in love. I had this opportunity Friday. I was in Indianapolis, my daughter's wedding, and, you know, uh, going into the Capitol building, I was trying to figure out this machine that you use a card for parking. Oh, wow. <laughs> And uh, so I'm sitting there, there's a guy walking, he walked by me a couple times, I'm like, what does this guy want, you know? And uh, I wasn't thinking of the passage, the message for this week. My daughter is about ready to get married, and I'm running a little bit, I need to get in there. 
And so this guy comes up to me and he invites me to a Bible study. <laughs> and uh, he invites me to Bible study and he was telling me about Jesus. And he was saying how um, this Bible study and the group believed that man must observe the Passover uh, in, in what he called a biblical way. And so I let him go on and he goes, well, do you have any religious religious beliefs? I said, yes, I, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and um, I shared with him. I let him talk some more. And I was in a hurry. I stood there and listened. And I simply said, you know, I disagree with you. I wasn't. I knew I would never change this person's mind right there. And I had to go in, into the building. And I just put my hand on my shoulder and appreciated him for, for sharing. I disagreed with him. And then he shared with me, he said, well, thank you for listening. So I don't know if this person is a true believer. I don't know. But I hope he remembers that I stood there and listened. That's how we need to be to all, not to puff myself up. It also says here we're to correct. We need to be prepared from the word of God by praying for open doors, allowing the spirit of God to work in our hearts, that as we pray and he gives us the, the wonderful divine opportunities to share, if it's false what they're saying, we need to, in love, share with them, this, this is what the Bible says. And then if that person's not going to change, we need to simply drop it, and we can be cordial to one another. And if you know that person's in Christ, pray accordingly. If that person's, the Spirit of God tells you they're not in Christ, share the gospel. Point being, trust in the Lord. And you know, this needs to be a lifestyle because we can't just um, turn this on and off, right? The Lord can do it, don't get me wrong. But when we have that spirit of thanksgiving, producing the humility, asking God for these open doors, praying in accordance with what Paul was talking about here in this passage of Scripture, we will think outside. We'll first think upreach and inreach, getting equipped, to do the outreach for the outsiders. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. We're in Colossians chapter 4, and we will be for one more week. And then we will be looking at the book of Habakkuk um, in a few weeks. So very excited about that, uh, to get into the Old Testament and look at a minor prophet. I pray you're being blessed through the book of Colossians of being reminded of these awesome truths of God. And to be reminded, we, we live the resurrected life. And these are encouragement points for us to build up the body of Christ, to be reminded who we are, being reminded that we need him every day. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we're praying for one another this morning that we would take these instructions, these exhortations from the Spirit of God, that we would be men and women of God devoting ourselves to prayer. And Lord, asking for your help and how we might walk closer with you, knowing that you tell us to redeem the time. And with that, Lord, we pray that your spirit would help us to see those opportunities that you're given to us. And Lord, that we would be people that would pray, just as it says here in these scriptures, that for those open doors, wherever they might be, Lord, 
And that, Lord, you would help us to have speech that is filled with your wonderful grace. At the same time, being bold in the truth that we might see others as you see, Lord Jesus. And that our speech would be seasoned with salt and that our, our lives as well, Lord, would be having that winsome something about us like who Jesus was, but we would have that among ourselves because we do have Christ in us, the hope of glory, that we would be attractive to, to others, Lord. Not in a seeker-friendly way, but in a way that is truth. And that you would use us for your glory, Lord. Father, help us to see the world in which we live in from your perspective. Lord, I pray that you would bless our, my brothers and sisters here, the body of Christ at Calvary Chapel Faith Fellowship. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our hearts, drawing us closer to you, Lord, drawing us closer to one another. May we continue seeking you for all things, watching you work in us and through us for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.